podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi and welcome to the Nina Kauser Show. My God, Liverpool 2, Tottenham 1. Uh, started off really ugly. The middle part was nice, ending quite unnervy. But you know what? I think the scoreline kind of flattered Spurs ever so much because if you look at the numbers, Liverpool absolutely bossed this game, hammered them absolutely everywhere. Plenty to talk about. And, you know, we, we've got some callers. I have some awesome guests. So you know what? You don't want to hear me. You want to hear the people that have got on the show, right? So let me introduce them to you. First up, last week he had food in the oven. This time he has been promoted to being a guest on the Nina Carter Show. It's Sam Evans, writer, podcaster on Anfield Index. Sam, welcome to the show. I'm starving myself for you this week, Nina, right? I, I thought I'll <laughs> get, get rid of those fish fingers and chips or whatever I had. And uh, concentrate on the pod. Uh, I had an absolutely miserable morning today with the uh, the Wales rugby results, so I, I was a bit gutted. But uh, this this has really kind of lifted my spirits now because I, I was telling Gags earlier I've got a, a really irrational hatred for Spurs, and I don't know what it is, but <laughs> it, it's uh, it's Harry Kane. It's just everything about them. I just feel like they're jammy. So I'm just so so happy now to just come out of that game. It wasn't pretty, but I think we thoroughly deserved it. So I'm just, I'm just really, really happy now. For sure, for sure. And you know what, listeners, need to be aware that Sam actually ran back to get on this pod. I mean, talk about a man who is committed to this podcast. I really appreciate that. And joining Sam, it is a familiar voice. It is the awesome Justin Wells. You've heard him plenty of times on, on the Transfer Pod and, of course, the USA podcast the baseball podcast as well. Justin, all things Liverpool, how are you? I'm doing well because I don't have to deal with a with a world within which Harry Kane has scored at Anfield to win 1-0 for Spurs. Right? I, I, I share a certain level of animosity that, with Sam towards Spurs, but I in particular like focusing it on uh, Harry Kane. And uh, instead of having to sit there and talk about how he's you know, his popping up at the right place at the right time, won a game for Spurs. I could talk about how he disappeared for the remaining 89 minutes of that football match. Absolutely. And you know what's bizarre? Because I also really have a... I also have like a massive, massive like dislike towards Harry Kane as well. I think it's largely down to obviously living in England, the media, the press, you know, English footballer, he gets so much hype. But then on the flip side to that, I really like Son. You know, they couldn't be polar opposites, so it's, it's a strange one for me. But guys, thank you so much for joining me. Um, obviously, I could tell that you're both absolutely thrilled with those three points. Um, and you know what? I'm going to go to our first caller. Um, joining us, I've not spoken to him in ages, actually. It's Shamik. Shamik, welcome to the show and a happy Diwali to you and everyone celebrating. Hey, Nina. To you and everybody. So my question is, uh, last season or maybe the season before that, Liverpool used to start early. First 15-20 minutes of the game, we used to blow the opposition away. But uh, last 
you know maybe two three game weeks uh, there has been a situation where we have been conceding chances early we haven't been the best of starters uh, is there something that you see in terms of a trend or uh, you know what has changed where liverpool all of a sudden from being explosive of the block are slow to you know get started well Shamik, thank you so much. That's a really good question. Justin, I'm going to come to you on this one because for me, yeah, I mean, we last week, obviously, we had that disappointing game against Manchester United. I felt like we as a whole, uh, you know, when you look at that game as a whole, we did play really well to like maybe the last 15 minutes, 20 minutes, if you're being generous. This one, it's really hard to kind of say Liverpool started out slow on the blocks because they scored literally in the first minute. I, I felt like, you know, Liverpool was still not out of the dressing room. And after that, I felt like as the game went on, I thought Liverpool just got better and better and better. But is this a trend that you've kind of noticed as well? Do you think it might be something that Jurgen Klopp's telling his players, you know what, reserve your energy, let them come on to you, they'll tire, and then you hit them? I mean, it could be. If you look at us, we're we're always extremely, extremely fit, right? I think we're probably like one of the teams that's going to run the most. And I think as much as such, we just use guys. And I think this is why Klopp loves that midfield is they never can stop running. They're basically indestructible. They'll keep moving. It's why Milner plays a lot too. So I think some of it is just, if you just, you know, some of it's just maybe psychological that, you know, if we keep running, teams will tire, but we won't. But I don't really think that that's it. I mean, what happened today isn't that we were slow to get started. It's 47 seconds in, we have Henderson making two mistakes, uh, a fluky deflection off of Dejan Lovren, and Virgil van Dijk, you know, falling asleep after all of that to where Harry Kane is and playing him outside. So that just, to me, just feels like a string of mistakes. I don't feel like it's necessarily being sluggish at the gate. That could happen at any point in a game. It just, I think we were fortunate that it happened that early because it, you know, probably had the net reaction of waking the team up instead of, um, instead of anything else, but I don't, I don't, I don't think that there's necessarily any like pattern like this because I mean, look at the last game we played against Gank. We scored two minutes in. Mm. That's actually a really, really good point. You know, you completely forget what you did in Europe. I mean, Sam, your thoughts on um, Shamik's question there, and of course, um, any points you'd like to add on there? Because um, you know, it, it was quite a fluky goal when you kind of look back at it, you know. And after the goal, I thought Liverpool, I thought Liverpool were the better team in the first half and in the second half. Yeah, uh, personally, I think season before last, we very much were, you know, coming out the blocks quickly and kind of hanging on. But I think last season we did actually master this kind of kind of way of playing where we would we'd kind of reserve a bit of energy and in the last 20 minutes of games we'd really come into our own and and that's the reason why we kind of ground out so many really close games so I don't think this is a new thing I think it's something that we, we we've adapted our game to become more durable to the Premier League I just think that this division you know like today now it was an absolute freak of a goal you know even though Justin Wright Van Dyke did switch off a little bit but the chances of that hitting the post and coming back to Harry, you know, Van Dyke's looking at it thinking it's either going out of play or it's going in the goal, you know. And, you know, credit to Kane, he's on his on his front feet, you know, front of his feet expecting something. But it was such a lucky goal at the end of the day. And you know, the reaction from the team really was superb to have that bit of bad luck early doors 
you know, Spurs have had that good win in, in midweek and they, they're, they're thinking, hang on, this might be the chance to actually turn things around. But, you know, we have proven last season we are made of stronger stuff and it takes a lot more than a very unlucky goal in the first minute to make us drop points at Anfield. And, you know, we, we've just grounded out yet again. No, um, I'm absolutely with you there. I, I, I've not really noticed much of a difference per se. I feel like, you know, that today was a bit of a shell shock. I, 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 I truly believe that. Uh, Shamik, unfortunately, um, had some, um, connection issues. How, um, so, um, thank you so much for still calling us on Diwali. We really, really appreciate it. We'll move on swiftly to our second caller. I believe it's Gags before he has to run off and celebrate Diwali as well. Hello, folks. How was that? I almost, I almost cancelled Diwali, like I said before that, uh, you know, half time for the family. It was going to be cancelled. The wife just came in and said, "Did you win?" I was like, "Yes." I said, "Diwali's not cancelled." She goes, "As if, as if you'd be able to cancel it." <laughs> These things happen. I go, "Well, it doesn't actually for Liverpool anymore. It doesn't." Um, yeah. Wow, that was. Uh, Dad's is going to turn into the the Hindu equivalent of Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> yeah, that's it. No party. No, no, no party. No Liverpool win. No party. <laughs> That's it. But yeah, first question was was a really good one. I'm so impressed with the the way this team bounces back, and um, I think I think it was a huge statement uh, that their keeper was the one that kept him in it today. Even though you know a lot of the shots were low low xG chances, you know, from distance or whatever, but they were forced. They were they were hitting the right areas. They were forcing the big saves from the keeper. So it doesn't matter really what the xG says. Then in this case, he was forced to make some biggies, you know, um, and that's one thing that probably doesn't measure how, where it was in the corner of the goal or whatever, you know, how the keeper reacts, things like that. It was, um, I thought that was impressive from us. And we really, if they're, I mean, that you could tell their confidence is down because, you know, a Spurs side, normally it's 50-50 at Anfield. They come here, they have the ball, you know, and, and basically 68% possession against Spurs at home. In recent times, that's, that's unheard of. We're turning into that team where people wanted us to be, you know, that possession base, trying to break them down, whatever we did. I want to talk about, though, Trent Alexander-Arnold, because I know a lot of people want to give Fabinho the man of match. Sky gave it to Mane, who really didn't have much of a, too much of an influence in the game, apart from the penalty, which is, okay, massive influence. Don't get me wrong. But what I mean is, if when you watch the game, Mane wasn't that one who was making things happen. It was Trent. So for me, I thought Trent with seven chances created in the game, Liverpool, the rest of the Liverpool team had six chances created in the game. I thought Trent was something else today. I really did. And he does this a lot. And it's thankfully Hendo moved in more centrally. There's a real good tweet on Twitter, folks, uh, from Dan Kennett, if you go check it out, where in the last few under pressures, they've been moaning about how Hendo's too far on the right. And, you know, he's getting in Trent's way. Today, if you look at the heat maps, Hendo's much more central, right-sided central, but not like on the wing anymore. And you look at Trent and he's just dominated that right side. I just want to talk about, I just want the praise on Trent because, I mean, I'm hoping you guys praise him. You don't have to agree with me. But I just think we're so lucky that we've got Trent and we're going to have him for 10 more years or so or however long he goes. Normally, obviously, when you start so young, you don't you don't normally last. Hopefully, he, he, he um, you know, goes against that grain. But how lucky are we to have such a talented footballer playing like this, dominating other teams? Just he's we're so lucky to have him. 
It's a really, really good question, guys. And I agree. I thought Fabinho was absolutely excellent. When they gave it to Sadio Mane, I'm not going to lie, I did kind of like, you know, just look a little perplexed as to maybe why. I mean, I come to Sam on Trent. Trent had an absolutely magnificent game. I think Gary Neville goes, I was going to give it to him, but he looked a bit ropey after he got booked and, you know, defense with some questions. But obviously, we're not going to talk about that. But let's talk about his attacking and creative output in this game because he was like, for me, one of the more present players. And he kind of, I don't know if he kind of knew that, you know, maybe Klopp told him as well that, hey, you know what, um, Jordan, maybe stay a bit more central, let Trent do what he needs to do with Mo Salah. Because one thing that we do know is this Spurs team are quite vulnerable and weak in wide areas. And I felt like Trent really did the number on him today. Yeah, on a day when we're playing against the media darling Harry Kane, it was, it was really, really nice to see Trent have such a brilliant performance today. But it, it just goes to show that the that the confirmation bias that a lot of people do have sometimes is, is really ingrained in, in the press when it comes to Trent. Like it's, it's just baffling that they haven't given him credit today. You know, it, the, it, he doesn't get picked for England, which is just... It perplexes me, but I I love it personally. Because it's good, yeah. Me too. The long the longer the Trent goes under the radar, you know, in the press and everything, that the more maybe that we, he 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 can get away with being such a threat for us, and maybe they're not actually rating him as highly as they should because he is one of our most important attacking weapons. When Trent has an off day, or when he's not available to play, you notice our attack drops off significantly. And some of the balls he played in today were absolutely unplayable for Spurs. And, you know, we, we were playing long passes today in, in really difficult areas to cross from. You know, the, the chance of scoring from across from that area is is really, really, really low. So the, the ball has to be different level to, to make it worthwhile even trying. And Trent's balls in are so, so good that, you know... I, I totally agree with Gags. I think we're so bloody lucky to have him. And I think he's he's massively underrated in the press. The fact that he hasn't... and The, the media narrative is always talking about his defensive qualities. It, it's where our, The way we play, the, the left and right backs are really far up the pitch. So the only place teams can attack us is behind the left and right backs. It's to do with the system. And it's a really, really difficult thing to defend because that you know, leaves them open there. So I think he's really underrated defensively, really underrated going forward. And I think he was absolutely fantastic today. I, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. He was absolutely brilliant. I mean, Justin, I mean, Gags kind of spoke about, you know, some of the chances he created. He, all, he even like, had a fucking nice little shot on goal as well in the first half. He was pretty much everywhere. He he, he had a monster performance. And it, why do you think he goes unnoticed with the media? I mean, I find it really bizarre. I mean, you see people that likes of like, say, like the Gary Linekers, you know, tweet about him and talk about him but you know widespread in the media not being picked for England I mean I find it bizarre but I'm with Sam here because obviously I don't support England so for me him not playing for England is only good things for Liverpool but what did you make of his performance today because I thought it was um it was a it was a pretty badass performance oh he could never play for England ever which I know he eventually will because the quality will eventually you know be too much to deny and I'll be happy because those are just minutes his legs don't have to absorb 
But no, he's he's incredible. I mean, if you look at his ability to put a ball basically wherever he needs to, is it, it's it's kind of unrivaled in in the Premier League from a right footed delivery. Besides, maybe the only other guy who rivals him right now is De Bruyne, and it's. Because of the fact that it's coming from a right back who's 20 years old, who's also Scouse, I think is part of why we love it so much. But I think that's also because of the fact that he came up through a youth system. He's never been the subject to a gaudy transfer price, uh, you know, because we didn't buy him. Nobody on the market knew about him. He came in just Has, as, It was his three-year anniversary as well, yeah, right? Yeah, been, yeah but, but it feels like if, if, if there's not, like, if for, if for a 20-year-old player, if there's not a 100 million pound price tag against, that, like, you know, has been transacted for you at some point in your career you you just escape notice in the in the modern football world by but a little too often though i think at this point you know it's it's impossible to not know who he is if you watch this sport i think most people who are intelligent about the sport rate him, and i think the only thing that's holding him back from being seen as a global superstar for because of the fact that he is uh, definitely more of an attacking uh player is just the goal return is the only thing that's kind of missing and look that's a function of how we play him and how we use him because he often ends up playing very wide and having to scan a lot of the pitch to pick from. But if he starts moving into midfield where the ability to also use his delivery and shooting ability is 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 a bit more regular, he, he's going to get a lot more attention. And I think that's what holds – and I think really it's the goal tally that's holding him back. That, that's the, like from a notice point of view. I don't mean from a, from a potential point of view because right now for a, a player of his age, to do the things that he can do, um, you know, just look, look at the list. I mean – the two assists in the semifinal of a Champions League, the, the the quick corners, the being the smartest and just most uh, perceptive to what needs to happen in attack. Um, it, it's impossible to n- deny that those are just all things that people, uh, you know, are, are going to miss if it continues to happen. Defensively, he, you know, he is what he is. He's a decent enough player. I think we make him look a little bit worse sometimes than he is because he does get a bit exposed by Salah not doing the most tracking back. Um, and, not be and, and not getting the opportunity to play next to Virgil van Dyke because he's usually next to Joel Motip or in today's case, JJ Lofren, who are, you know, no, no disrespect to the, to the two of them, not Virgil van Dyke. It's a good point. No, I think that's an absolutely spot on point. And was something that I also really enjoyed about his game today was, um, you know, just some of the um, the play between him and Robertson, the way they were kind of like lofting the ball to each other across the pitch, you know, really spreading play out, opening them up, making them vulnerable, making them panic. Because I felt like every time Trent Alexander was on the ball, they looked really panicked. Like they didn't know how to deal with him. He's quick. He's adventurous. You know, he's got, bags of confidence. He was everything that this Spurs team really isn't. And it just really, really unsettled them. And I felt like their wide players could not deal with him today. I just felt like he was just too much. And he kind of, for me, kind of calmed it down a little when, of course, it, you know, um, he got his yellow card and, you know, it, it was quite scary because I thought he was almost going to get his second yellow, which would have been a red. But luckily that didn't happen. Right. Unfortunately, Gags has left us. So, um, once again, Gags, uh, happy Diwali. If you can hear fireworks outside mine, um, I apologise, but celebrations are celebrations. You know, they, they celebrate Liverpool's victory here, obviously. Nothing to do with Diwali, just kidding. Everything to do with Diwali. Let's move on now. I Let's hear Liverpool's um... really popular in Manchester. Oh, it's, uh, yeah, literally now everyone's got the, you know, the, uh, you know, it's, it's the red of Liverpool now, you know, glory hunters everywhere in this city. I kid you not. But guys, let's move on to another point. Unfortunately, 
unfortunately, um, a, a familiar caller on this show, G's on toss, Nick Turner, he can't call in, but he um, he wants to ask us a, a question. So I'll read out the, the message. And Justin, I'll come to you first on this because I'm sure you'll have some great analogies on this. I'd like to ask um, about the dark arts that Spurs employed for most of the first half, at least. Stopping free kicks by standing next to the takers, son especially. I like him, but he was um, participating in that. It was very much Mourinho-esque tactic, I thought. So glad it didn't pay off. Justin talked to me about this as well, because I noticed, another thing I noticed as well was they were kind of doing it to kind of slow down the play because I don't think they could cope with Liverpool's pace. Yeah, well, that's the thing. If if you have to rely on time-wasting time to slow down play and break up the rhythm of a game, uh, you're not going to be successful. It, it, it doesn't work like that. The idea is you have to actually just find a way to cope with it for, in the actual time in which it's played because the only thing you're doing is just going to create choppy play. But in the end, like, if you're doing it because you're trying to kill time to win a game, you can't do that for 89 minutes and expect it to work. You cannot kill off an entire game it doesn't work. Stoke right? City, yes, well, right? <laughs> you expect yeah, that from Spurs. Yeah, I mean, that's basically the equivalent of playing to a nil-nil because you have to basically, you have to factor in for Liverpool that Anfield is going to suck in a goal at some point, right? So you're playing playing for a nil, playing, playing at 1-1 is basically playing for a nil-nil and the longer you're able to keep it that way, great. But how many teams have been successful at even playing us to draws at Anfield in the last three seasons? Not very many. It doesn't happen often. And you have to be a significantly better defensive team than Spurs are to pull it off. So the idea is, I get it. Like, what, what do you expect them to do in that situation? Not try, not try to stop us from playing quickly. Not try to stop and let us get, you know, quick free kicks in. Like I mentioned with Trent Alexander-Arnold, you know what happens if he has an opportunity to take a free, quick free kick and someone at the end of it also notices it too. Barcelona didn't notice that. That's the last team I think that's really going to try to get caught out by that because... Like, you know that that's a tool in the arsenal. So I guess it's just, you have to do it. You have to try to stop, you have to try to take as much time out of the game as you can. But it, it's it's not something that's going to work. And that's the thing I think that people come to, sometimes need to uh, get over about the dark arts. It's, you know they're going to happen. You know that teams are going to try to do everything to their advantage that they possibly can during a game. As a fan base, you should be pissed off if your team doesn't do these things because if Liverpool wasn't also cynically trying to stop teams from playing in, in situations where we have a lead and we're trying to break things up, I would be annoyed. We actually do some things like this too. You had Firmino kicking the ball away in the eight, in the 89th or 90th minute. So, like, yeah, it's going to be frustrating and annoying, but you'd be pissed if Liverpool wasn't doing the same thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we had a, a pretty similar situation last week with, um, I think it's James from Man United who kept going down. And then, you know, um, of course, he went down and, the, you know, the referee suspected it was concussion. And then, of course, um, uh, sorry, it was an injury to the head and it could be concussion. And then it wasn't. And then later on, it, it, you know, he, he did. Um, I don't think he got a blow to the head, but he, he went down. And, you know, um, again, there's a lot of uh, subscribers who were quite annoyed. And I, th- I mean, Sam talked to me about this. That- I have a theory that Joel Matip hasn't played since United, not because he has a knee injury, but Jurgen's benching and playing the ball out for Daniel James when we could have gone on an advantage. Oh, I like that little conspiracy theory. Maybe it's got some legs. Who knows? 
Yeah, he did actually. And I was quite um, livid with him for doing that. Sam, I'm going to come to you now. I mean, talk to me. I mean, I think Justin makes some absolutely spot on points, you know, like, yeah, they don't work. But then if you know that a team literally has the upper hand, like you could tell Spurs were looking quite tired and quite jaded with the pace that Liverpool had. Liverpool started off, you know, didn't start off in the best form, um, uh, you know, given the fact that they conceded that fluky weird goal. But, you know, they, they definitely looked like the team on top. It was a matter of when they're going to score rather than if. And I felt like Spurs were pretty much trying to do everything just to keep them at bay. Yeah, I, I just think it's a clear sign of, of where we are as a club right now. I, I just think clubs are coming to us absolutely terrified of the damage that we're going to do. So when they had that lucky goal early doors, there was only one way that Spurs were going to play and that was going to be ultra ultra defensive and just see if they can try and cling on to that one goal advantage and and maybe see if they can nick something on the break you know once every 20 minutes uh which you know they they nearly did actually but um you know at at one nil with that son chance but uh you know i i think it really does show the gulf between spurs and liverpool you know over this last year Spurs have been diabolical in the league. Their, their 2019 has been nothing short of a disgrace when it comes to the Premier League. And, you know, similar to maybe how we were in the, in the season we got to the Europa League final, we kind of gave up in the league at the end of the season just to concentrate on that. You know, you can give them a bit of a chance for that for the last few games of the Premier League season. But it's been since January, you know, they, they've been terrible. And I haven't got the points to hand, but, you know, Spurs' points are bottom half of the table, you know, type of record since since January. So, you know, it, it just goes to show just how far ahead of Spurs we are. And I, I was so, so shocked to see them sit back quite so deep today. But it, it is just a compliment to just how good we are these days. And, you know, it, it is something that we need to get used to. You know, there are teams going to be doing this and we are going to have to try and find ways to break them down. And I think even though throwing in crosses from really deep can be quite frustrating at times and it's a bit of a percentage ball, when we've got players like Trent and Robbo on the pitch, we need to have faith that we are actually going to, you know, grind them out in the end. And, you know, we've done it again and again. And we're, we're sat here now with 28 points from 10 games, which is absolutely brilliant, which is 16 points ahead of Spurs at this moment in time. So, you know, absolutely delighted with the start. And I just think it's so, so vital now that we get the win against Aston Villa next week, just to go into the Man City game with that at least six-point advantage intact. Can I, can I ask you a question quickly? Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at 12 points back, at what point is the English media going to write Spurs into the into the title race again? How many points? Do, how many points do they have to narrow that gap before they're written back into it? God the, knows. The, the, the press already think they're in it. <laughs> they're, they're, they're closer to a relegation battle at the moment. That's the funny thing. It's madness. Right. They are the media darlings, and you know, I, I think you know it is what it is. I mean, Justin, you kind of just typed in the chat box there those that aren't on discord we have like a chat box and if you're not part of discord get part of discord it's so much fun but you you just were screaming and baiting for a harry kane question and your good friend kev earlier on asked question for justin is harry kane the best player of all time i'll take my answer off air thank you but you know what i'm gonna make you air the dirty laundry 
Oh, God. I, I just don't get why everybody thinks this guy is so good. I saw an article talking about how he's now changed to be kind of like a 10 for them, right? And, you know, he's an elite creator. No, he's not. Stop trying to find reasons to point out that a solidly above average but not but never world-class striker is something that he isn't. He's just a good striker. He's nothing more. His team has to get him everything for him to finish on the end of anything. He doesn't create anything for anybody else. His movement is not brilliant. He does not bring up better things than other players. He does not create chances for other players. He does not create space for other players. He doesn't press particularly hard. Stop it with this guy, please. He's just good. He's maybe above average. He's not great. He's not world-class. And his team suffer because of his presence lately. Oh, you know what? It's a debate that I have a lot as well, Sam. I'll just bring you quickly into this conversation as well. I mean, umbilical boy goes, he's became the slowest player of all time. I'll let, I'll let Sam answer that. But Sam, I, I have a lot of debates about this. And, you know, people have said, oh, he's phenomenal. Because, of course, I'm, uh, I watched them. I, I was sort of dancing um, between... Uh, Spurs his Champions League game and Man City's and of course he got he got two goals so did um Son Son I believe but oh um I was speaking to one of my friends who's a United fan and he was like oh he's he's a brilliant footballer he's quality I can't believe why you don't like him and I'm like no I'm before Sam gets into this your United friend fan is already your United fan friend is already talking himself into the two hundred million pounds they're gonna pay for (laughs) Harry Kane. That's what you know doing. what it's, it's funny you say that because he actually wants son he actually does want son he's like i would love that boy at my club i'm like so would so many people but i mean speak to and i was like no i'm with justin here he is a very good goal scorer does not make him a world-class footballer there's a difference and you know he's limited you know let's let's be honest i mean what, what do you make of him i mean i know you don't like him sam so you know what blow blow your top off go on do it yeah, t- t- to me, he, he's like a modern day, what, Van Nistelrooy type of player. You know, he's he's a pure goal scorer. You've got to give him credit, right? He's a great goal scorer because he scores 20 plus goals every season. You know what you're going to get. But some of the media loving with him, talking about him as some sort of creative genius is is absolutely batshit crazy. And, and none of the statistics back this up. Um, I think that there was a tweet this week, actually, because... You know, Spurs hammered an absolutely terrible Red Star team this week. And mm-hmm. everyone, you know, the loving came back, even though Spurs have been awful all season. They win one game, 5-0. And then the, the loving kicks in again. I, I don't know who Daniel's story is, some BBC broad, uh, uh, journalist, I think. But he he tweeted, Harry Kane is producing one of the best creative performances I've seen this season. His vision is way, way above most normal centre-forwards, right? They they were just spouting a load of shit about how creative he is and amazing. And fair play to Simon Brundish, he just kind of started throwing stats at him. And one of my favourite stats was uh, just 11 goalkeepers in the Premier League with a higher XG build per 90 than Harry Kane. So, you know, <laughs> goalkeepers are getting better XG build than him. So, it, it, he's a brilliant goal scorer. And he gets himself in great positions and his finishing is is probably elite. I don't have the stats for that, but it's got to be because he, he, he does put them away. Fair play to the guy. But that's all he is. He's a goal scorer. We've seen Spurs play a lot better when he's not in the team. And he disappeared but, in this game, right? He disappeared in this yeah. game. Well, 
you know, Virgil and van Dijk Man owns U- him. That's why. Do, do you remember when Man United had Van Nistelrooy in the team, right? He would yeah. score 20-odd goals every season, but they weren't winning things. I don't know. Did he win one title while he was there, Van Nistelrooy? I think Rooney did a lot of donkey work for him, right? If I remember correctly, Rooney used to do a lot of the donkey work for him. And that's kind of my closest comparison I can think of is, yes, he's getting all the... He gets all the plaudits then because he gets all the goals, but it's probably to the detriment of the team. You know, he'll leave there with a a 2-1 defeat, but a goal in the bag, and he's probably happy with it. And then the team is struggling for it. You know, I, I don't think... They, they play that we saw it last season. They actually had an injury to Harry Kane, and I think they had a bit of an upturn in, in points per game when, when he was out because Mora got yeah. a chance to get in there. And his link up play and, and his, his pace and, and running behind the defense actually caused a lot more problems. So, um, don't get me wrong, I'm happy to see it. I, I, I just I think it's the fact that Spurs have been ahead of us a lot. What was it, seven in the last 10 seasons or something? They've been above us in the league shouldn't be happening. We are so, so bigger than Spurs. And I think it's just a bit of annoyance that we've been so poor, which is why I dislike Spurs. It's just I'm annoyed with ourselves that we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't be behind them. So I was so chuffed now today to put them in their place and and just open up a 16-point gap between us and Spurs after 10 games in the league. So, you know, that's put them to bed. And I'm just, you know... That that's that's the end of them as far as I'm concerned. I love the emphasis on sixteen there, Sam. Okay, you know what? Forget talking about them. Enough. Let's go back to Liverpool. Justin, I'll come to you. Let's talk about some of the key players. Talk to me about Alisson. Um we'll start from back to front. We spoke about Trent. So let's talk about Alisson. I thought he was required a lot in, in action, um, you know, in, in the in I'd say in the last fifteen minutes maybe, you know, um, and I, I thought, you know, he absorbed a lot of that pressure really well. Not much was asked of him throughout the whole game, but in that little period where usually where we are used to maybe conceding a stupid goal, like there was last minute heart attack, they had that last second corner. Usually you kind of anticipate Liverpool to kind of, you know, drop some points in those situations, but cool as a cucumber, the guy's just come back from injury as well. You can just see how elite he is. You, you absolutely can. And one of the things that's really nice about him is he brings a level of confidence and calm to the team. Yes. Now, I don't think we were particularly confident or calm in the last 15 minutes of that match. Once, once we scored the penalty, we, got, we, were, we were on the back foot. Yeah. But in the situations where we just needed Allison to do what you want a top flight keeper to do, he did them. And I think that the moment that really sticks out to me most is when the ball somehow finds Son, who gets it, thankfully, on his left foot instead of his right there. But he, Son takes a low left-footed shot. Now, Son doesn't get it wide enough of Allison to really trouble him. But what does Allison do is he takes all the sting out of the ball. He sits on top of it. He makes sure there's nothing spilled out. And he takes a minute to just basically calm everything down, get people clearing their areas, and get us pushed back out again. Right? Those are things that top-level keepers do, and they just basically sit there and just make you think that everything has just been handled easily, calmly, confidently, fundamentally, and he's taken the pressure out of the situation. He does that all the time. Now, there are going to be situations where he's going to put your heart in your mouth like every time he's got the ball in the back line and the other teams are pressing him, because one of the things that he is trying to do is, you know, he's like he thinks he's good enough with his feet to start attacks, which he is. So you have to take those moments of excruciating uh, pressure that are going to make you feel like you might make a mistake 
and kind of couple them with the rest of that exuding control and kind of put them, weigh them and weigh them together to see, did he do the two things that you expect out of him, which are going to be controlling the game and keeping us calm. And he did that for me perfectly. That he, he had, there so many things had to happen before their goal was scored that he was completely taken out of the play before it anyway. So you can't press, you can't fault him there. He mm. didn't let us, he didn't let us break. And in the end of the game, he kept us calm. Absolutely. And Sam, I'll let you have your words on, on Alison, because for me, the, the, the defining moment was when uh, Liverpool did look a little shaky after we go ahead and, you know, defensively, you know, there were spaces that, you know, they, they, basically put a lot of bodies into the box here, into the box. And, you know, Alisson was obviously the, the last point of defence. And, you know, he, he really stepped up. And I think Vern right here has wrote something in the chat box as well. I love the way Alisson doesn't doesn't parry the ball out from the shot. You know, from the shot, he's so safe and so clean. I want to get your thoughts on Alisson because, you know, there was a moment where he was required into action. And usually when you see quality goalkeepers like the likes of Manuel Neuer, who have nothing to do all game and they have a lapse of concentration, those, that kind of happens to goalkeepers because they need to stay alert throughout the whole game. This guy, for me, when he was called into action so late on in the game, he, you know, he was on it. Yeah, I, I was about to quote Vern Wright's uh, comment there, actually, because that's exactly what I was going to say myself when you were starting to ask the question. Um, that's one of the best things about Alisson is how cleanly he's taken these shots. Um, Spurs are a bit guilty of doing something similar to us, which was hitting the ball straight at the keeper quite a few times. But it's surprising how often goalkeepers do end up fumbling it when it's struck that cleanly. You know, Son can hit the ball so so well at times and you do see a lot of goalkeepers having to take a second bite at it sometimes and that that's the kind of goal that Harry Kane kind of thrives on is the is the, the messy kind of rebound goals that he can get so having a guy like Alisson in the team as you were touching on earlier maybe he does give us the odd heart attack now and again but that's completely our own baggage not his um, he, he's got full control of the ball at any one time I know he's made the odd mistake in his time with us, but they are few and far between. And that guy's got so much confidence on the ball. I think we've just been so kind of poisoned by previous goalkeepers that we still haven't quite got it out of our system, despite the fact that Alisson's been there for over a year now. Um, I think it's something that we just, uh, we're slowly getting used to, but it just takes a bit of time. And it, it's it's really, really nice to have him back in now, even though Adrian did a great job in his absence. I just think it really, really helps having him in that team, um, especially when we've got, uh, I don't know if we'll get on to Dejan Lovren so- shortly, but... Uh, oh, yeah, it, yeah, I'm coming to you it, with that one next, don't worry. Yeah, but I think it, it, it makes a big difference having him in there when... Maybe some other parts of the defence are, are slightly malfunctioning. For sure. And Sam, I'm going to stick with you. Let's talk about centre-back pairing because, you know, I think there was plenty of surprise when Dejan Lovren was called back given the fact that, you know, he was um, costly for, um, of course, the Genk's goal. Um, I, I naturally assumed that maybe, you know, he, Klopp didn't give much away about Matip. He thought he might be fit. But obviously wasn't. Then I thought naturally Gomez would would slot into that into that position. But talk to me about the centre back pairing because um, for me, I mean, 
I thought the, um, you know, Virgil van Dijk was, you know, quite good in, in, in an attacking sense. Uh, you know, you saw him kind of running forward, um, trying to be threatening from set pieces. But Dejan Lovren, um, a few times, in my opinion, I don't want to slate the guy, but had a few lapses in concentration, certainly against Son. I felt like Son had the number on him. And, you know, there was quite a few scary moments. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things, right? Not only can Lovren be... I, I thought he was all at sea at times today. I thought he, he was really, really struggling. But mm. n- not only did he struggle today, but he was also really unlucky when it, with that first goal. He, he got himself in the way. Not only is he playing badly, but then he was really... He got a block in, and that block ends up hitting the post and going straight to Harry Kane for, for the first goal. And it's like, the, the guy can't do any right. Um, it's touching on the kind of confirmation bias earlier, right? I, I am very guilty of it with Lovren, so I want to be fair. I think he was fantastic against Leicester the other day. I thought he had a great performance there. And I can see why he's been put in, because Gomez had a few... He, he was ropey when he came in for um, Matip the other day. So I think Lovren has kind of gone ahead of him in the pecking order for that reason. I think talent-wise, there's no doubt about it, Gomez is... F- far and away better than Lovren and I'd rather see him in there but I, I can kind of see the reasoning behind it by Klopp but you know t- today now I just thought he, he really really struggled that the, the worst one of it all was that time when Gazaniga kicked it out from his hands and, and Son had a one-on-one with Alan straight from his hands it, it was an, nearly an assist mm-hmm. from the goalkeeper it was just Absolutely abysmal defending, and I know Son is a brilliant runner, but come on, it, it, it was it was absolutely terrible, and it kind of summed up his day for me. I thought he was uh, he, he was really really struggling because we, we were so dominant in the game. The only chances they seemed to get was when they were targeting Lovren. Yes, and I I I think that the drop off from Matip to him has been absolutely astounding and and quite. A lot worse than I was expecting. And I know Justin kind of said it with tongue-in-cheek earlier about Matip. When when he kicked that ball out against Man United, when Dan James was rolling all over the floor, being injured for like the 12th time, I couldn't believe he kicked it out. They they, they probably should have cancelled his uh, contract extension there and then. <laughs> for, for, for me, for me, right, you, you, you've got to... You've got to play the whistle. You know, the, the ref actually stopped the game once when Dan James was on the ground holding his leg or something, which is a disgrace in itself. You know, it should be head injuries only. That's always been the rule. So why Matip did that, I do not know. You've got to go for the jugular in these games. But, you know, joking aside, I think Matip has been absolutely incredible for us over the last 12 to 18 months. And you know, it, it just goes to show how good he's been because... Lovren and Gomez are really good third and fourth choice centre-backs, to be fair, right? They're, they're probably both better than, well, anything that Man City have, actually, apart from Laporte. So, uh, you know, we can't really complain too much. It's just uh, where, when you get Lovren on the pitch, I think a lot of it is us just panicking as well because we know what he's like. You know, he can have a great 89 minutes and then throw one in. And that's just something that when we're going for the league, it's something we really can't afford. 
And Justin, I'll, I'll come to you, get your thoughts on the centre-backs. I mean, what what did you make of their performances? I know there's a lot of them, you know, I feel like Lovren will be under the microscope a lot today, you know, given the fact that, you know, he did a few years ago have that awful performance against Spurs. I know it was at the Wembley Stadium, not Anfield, but, you know, he, he didn't he didn't have the best. And I felt like, like, like Sam said, every time, you know, Liverpool dominated, but if there was going to be, like, a player that's going to be prone to an error, it looks likely that it would be Dejan Lovren. So talk to me about the centre-backs. I mean, even Virgil van Dijk as well talked to me about him. I thought he had an all-right game. But the thing is, when Virgil van Dijk has an all-right game, it's simply not enough for the haters. He, for me, he, he, he did all right. Well, for Virgil van Dijk, when, it, Virgil van Dijk, after one minute of having a situation with which four things have to go wrong with him falling asleep being the last one, spent 89 minutes... Uh, pocketing Harry Kane so I don't really I, I got I have no fault for him there was he was was this Virgil van Dijk's best game no I mean unlucky not to score because Gazaniga makes a fantastic reaction save against him but Lovren just I mean it, it's the same thing right it's it, Sam basically got it he could be all right for 89 minutes but there's you know the other side of that is just the uh, the cliche of there's always a mistake in him um, I think he's actually. I don't think. I don't think the goal deflecting off of him is his mistake. It's just he's very, very, very unlucky. That's not the situation I'd use to highlight the kind of the defender he is today. I, there, there's two other ones I would though. Uh, there's the chance that Erickson dragged wide. Um, yes. That's down. That's down Van Dyke's. That's down uh, a side where Van Dyke has to slide over, and Lovren is nowhere to find the space that Van Dyke slid out of to keep the to keep the line close. And it, it, it just gives Erickson a situation where he probably really should score. And then uh, you have when Sun rounds Allison in the second half. Now, I think Allison actually did a great job to force Sun into a really wide shooting position. But what's Lavern doing there? He just gets turned and run and just runs into uh, just gets run into space very, 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 very easily by Sun, and those are the two situations where they could have easily, you know, they could have easily scored in both of those situations, and it's just Lovren falling asleep, not being attuned to where the threat is, or not being in concert with the rest of the defense. Those are the situations that, that he, you know, that he's capable of, and those are the things that, you know, people sit there and talk about the individual errors. Those are the individual errors. It's just not being awake or aware of where everybody else is. For sure. And Justin, I'll stick with you. Let's just quickly cover the defence. We spoke about Trent Alexander-Arnold. Let's talk about Robertson. I mean, for me, there was a lot of creativity on the right-hand side. Obviously, you know, we've already seen this game once. We've gone straight into the post-match show. We've not had a chance to look back at the game or the highlights. But for me, it felt like Robertson maybe was a little playing within himself today. It looked more, like, defensive. I mean, he got up, up the pitch a fair few times. Yeah, he did. But I felt like Trent looked like he had the better performance. Oh, Trent had a much better performance. Robertson was, he's mostly fine. Um, there are two situations that he found himself in that I really didn't love. Um, once once in the first half, he gets beyond and has the opportunity to basically cut the ball back from the byline at around, the, at around where the six-yard box meets the, the end line. And he, um, he he badly messes up his cross and just passes it right to Gazaniga who's able to get his hand down to it. And then there's also off of a pressing situation where he um, clips it, he chips across to Mo Salah when Mo Salah, where he has... Sala goal side of, um, of of Davinson Sanchez and chipping chipping a ball up high to Mo Sala instead of firing it low when Davinson Sanchez is on his back. That's not a situation that Mo is going to win. So 
I think from a creativity perspective, there wasn't a ton go. I mean, look, everything creative kind of came down our right side. I thought it was also because, uh, you know, for the most part, I thought that Mo, the combination of Mo and uh, and Trent Alexander Arnold were more creative than the combination of Sadio Mane and Al- and uh, Andrew Robertson today. But listen, that 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 happens sometimes. I mean, it's it's good to have all four of those guys being able to interchangeably create chances in the channels because that's where we excel and uh, just. Today, defensively, Robertson was fine. Spurs didn't really break down his side. But uh, in an attacking perspective, he was just quieter than usual. Yeah, I-, I think that's fair, which makes it even more bizarre, doesn't it, Sam, that, you know, Mane did get the man of the match because I, I noticed that there was a lack of creativity on the left-hand side more so. Yeah, I, th- I think, uh, you know, Robertson was was massively outshone by, by Trent today, but that, that doesn't mean that Robertson didn't have a good game. I think he was... He's always a threat today. I thought he, he ran his socks off and, you know, he, he kept Spurs quiet down that side. So, you know, I think Robertson had, had more more than a, an adequate uh, performance today. Mm. I think that um, they, they brought him off with about 20 left, was it, in the Champions League? Um, 20 minutes to half an hour left uh, just to, to rest his legs a bit. And I, I think that was something that, uh, you know, really helped him in the last 20 today and uh, you know, kept him going when uh, Spurs started a push. For sure. And Justin, I'll come to you. Let's let's talk about Fabinho. I mean, monster performance again. He was absolutely everywhere. I mean, there's some players, in my opinion, that have this aura about them. And I think Virgil van Dijk has it. And I think Fabinho has it as well. And it's almost like you come anywhere near me, proceed with caution because you're going to get hurt. He was literally everywhere. I remember, I think it was in first half or second half there were three Spurs players around him and he still managed to get the better of all three of them I think one of them fouled him and he won a foul he had an incredible game and my god does he make a difference to that midfield regardless of the combination he always steps up and today we we needed a bit of a brute in that midfield you need it in every game let's be honest Liverpool have been nice for too long but my god look at the change yeah well there's something about Fabinho that, and, and I think this kind of goes to how, how at least I like to watch games, which is if I notice what a central midfielder is doing or a central defensive midfielder is doing, and he's doing a lot of work for the team I'm in, I usually think that's a good thing. Whereas also I think that my center backs or my goalkeeper have to do a lot of work. That's typically a bad thing. But uh, I, I think that Fabinho did a ton of work today, got through everything. And it's just it wasn't just the usual defensive excellence or the usual just destroying every other team's ability and turning their transition into our transition. We he got we kept Spurs pegged back and once we had them pegged back, his use of the ball was outstanding. He was mm. he was able to find so many good passes to open to open up crossing lanes for Trent Alexander Arnold. He did a lot of it. He did a lot of interchanging with, you know, getting the ball to and from the forwards and just kind of bypassing uh, Wijnaldum and Henderson when need be. He did an, he was trying to play that chipped pass around the edge to try to play in our fullbacks as well. Um, he did a, he just did a lot both on and off ball. Like the off ball stuff I've come to basically just expect and know that he's going to do. But his on ball play today was just fantastic. And I think that's a part of his game that he doesn't get enough credit for because you, you know, we all know all the industry. We all know all the, the ground he covers and how, how good he is at being combative and winning tackles. But it's also just the amount of uh, how good he can be on the ball is uh, something that I really, really, really enjoy. I would like to see him try to shoot from distance a little bit more often. But um, yeah, I thought, I, thought, I thought he was fantastic. One of, one of the best players on the pitch in the day. 
for sure. And for me, Sam, he really controlled the tempo of the game. Yeah, well, seeing as we've become the 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 team likes to dominate uh, the possession now, he's he's becoming more and more influential and more important to us because where, whereas teams now are trying to sit back and hit us on the break he's the guy that's there then to, to kill those counter-attacks dead before they've even started but he, he's so much more than that he's a guy that can can play the ball really you know forwards more often than not as well and I think that's an underrated skill, you know, people just think, oh, he, his pass completion is excellent. He must be good, kind of Harry Wink style. But playing the ball forwards is, is a lot more difficult than you realise in top-level football. And it's something that he has an excellent knack of doing. So I, I absolutely love the guy. He, he's one of my favourite players. He's someone that makes us, you know, even though we've got Van Dyke and Alisson back there, he is one of the absolutely key players for us in keeping the scoreline down at the other end. I just think he's he's absolutely fantastic. Absolutely, absolutely. And Sam, let's talk about the other two midfielders today. I think we were all quite shocked. Um, well, I was. I thought maybe Klopp would probably play a combination of maybe a Ginny and, and an attacking midfielder or a Henderson, another attacking midfielder. Obviously, it didn't happen. He went with his, you know, his his safe midfield option. You know, European champions, let's not, you know, talk them down. But he went with the safe option. Talk to me about their two performance, you know, because, I mean... I think, you know, Jordan Henderson was obviously at fault. I mean, it, it's early in the game, so you can't really say much. But for me, he, he was at fault for the goal. You know, I felt like the midfield just got completely just taken apart. And, you know, uh, let's let's be honest. Of course, it was nice to see get, you know, to get the equaliser as well. But talk to me about that midfield combo, because for me, yeah, it, it's, it didn't start off the best. But as the game went on, they started to play better. Yeah, well, we were all listening to Henderson's interview after the game just before we started recording the pod. Mm. And fair play to him. He he did admit, you know, oh, that first goal, I gave it away and uh, kind of apologised for it. And he, he does beat himself up over these things. So, you know, fair play to him taking the, the blame for that and then stepping up and, and, and getting the goal. You know, it's... He's a much criticised player. I I do it myself, and it's it's a lot of the time is to do with his lack of contribution going forward. But when we've got a front three that's so talented and and as talented as the front three that we currently have, I think you need to have a certain kind of skill set in this midfield to to kind of try and help them flourish. Flourish. So I think. Klopp definitely has a lot of time for Henderson. I think a lot more than maybe a lot of fans do. And after you know the really good performance of Naby Keita and Oxley Chamberlain in midweek, some people might have got their hopes up that they might be in for this game. I, I never expected that today. I think uh, the fact that they had a nice, a lot of the players had a rest in midweek made them absolute shoe wins now to, to to play that midfield that we play today. And, you know, it doesn't matter how many criticism you have for, against those guys. We've absolutely dominated that game today. And a lot of that has to be down to the midfield. So I think you know, for all the criticism you might have for that midfield, they are a midfield who can run all day. They work their socks off and, and they can dominate the ball. And it's something that 
you know, has, has stood us in really good stead this season and has led to us min- winning nine out of the first 10 games. So I think um, him and Wijnaldum did a fine job today. I think every single time they're on the pitch, Fabinho seems to outshine them. But I was really, really chuffed for Henderson today to get that goal. Yeah. I think it's something that is is really hard work has merited and I, I feel bad sometimes because I'm I'm one of the people that do criticise Henderson a lot but you know you can never fault his work rate and it, he wants it so so badly and I'm really really happy to see him score For sure and I think Justin I come to you I mean speak about that midfield comp duo to me as well because we kind of spoke before the pod started and you know I think Harinda was on as well Um, you know just before we, we, we did the chat and you know you two were speaking and you you kind of accept that you know Jordan Henderson has limitations. We know what he's good at, and we know the things that he can't do. And I think people kind of focus on the things that he can't do, but I think Sam's absolutely spot on. Those two are, are such energetic players. They'll cover a lot of the distance of the pitch. And I felt like as the game went on, I know people were screaming for a halftime change. Oh, get one of them off and bring on an attacking midfielder. But at that point, I felt like we were controlling the game. It was literally a lapse of concentration within the first minute of the game that kind of affected the complexion of the game in terms of the result. But as the game went on, I felt like we were more in control. I also like the point that Gags made about, you know, Jordan Henson being less, less on the right hand side, which gave Trent the advantage, you know, the the advantage of being a bit more attacking and a bit more creative in Mosala. So he was a bit, you know, he was a bit more tucked in. Was um Jordan Henderson, and of course, Junior and Adam as well. He all, I mean, like he was in some advanced positions today. Yeah, I just wish Ginny would have, Ginny would have shot the ball when he had a clear opportunity to shoot the ball, right? Look, I, 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 you, everybody, I think at this point knows and accepts why Klopp uses this midfield in big games, right? In particular, because you know Fabinho is going to play every single one, and there is something about the fact that he knows that, right? Henderson and Wijnaldum are going to execute the instructions he gives them to the T, right? Whether or not, and, and I think basically, if you don't like the lineups, I think that you have to. It has to be down to the fact that a is the result is the result the wrong result? No, right? We won. We deserve to win. We dominated the game. We created more than them. And two, did either of those players do anything that caused you not to win the game, right? Henderson almost did, but then he makes up for it by scoring. So I don't get, you know, so basically, can you slag him off for on the balance of the game for what he did? No, because we won, right? So I, I think that people need to sometimes, you know, stray the line away from an agenda, which is Jordan Henderson. Is not good enough for Liverpool. He clearly is. We've won a European Cup with him in the team. Um, we're 28 points out of 30 where he's been in the team most of the time. Is his, But you can still ask yourself questions that make some sense that, to, that, you know, that are still fair, right? Is Jordan Henderson in the best of form at the moment? No, he's not, right? He's very clearly not. Um, his first half, was he good? No, he was pretty poor. I mean, I looked at his stats the first half, a half where we had something around Nearly 300 completed passes. Henderson was just 15 of 23. Um, all the passes he completed were either sideways or backwards. He attempted three out of 10 forward passes. He, he completed three of the 10 forward passes he attempted in the first half. So if you're going to ask yourself questions about whether or not he, you know, if you thought he played too safe, it's because of the fact that every single time he tried to take a risk, it seemed not to work, right? Players are going to realize that and just decide maybe I should stop taking this risk. But then what happened is he took a different kind of risk in the second half. 
He gets himself into the box. A thing that if you've ever heard me speak about Jordan Henderson before, you know that I'm critical of him when he doesn't do this because I think his best play actually comes from chaos in the box. And in You've said this from day one, to be fair. You have. Yeah. And look at what happens. He gets into the box. Is it the greatest finish in the world? No, but who gives a shit? The ball went in the back of the goal, right? Yeah. So there comes a point where sometimes you have to judge a player for what they are. Jordan Henderson is a technically limited but very energetic midfielder who, when chaos occurs in areas, it, when chaos occurs, can be at his best getting on the end of chaos. But in games where it's very controlled and we're trying to break things down, is sometimes, is he going to be, is he playing, you know, a safe, controlled way, going to break things down for us? No, but he's hardly the only person who does that, right? And it's partly because probably the manager is instructing them to do this, right? So the bal- on the balance of criticism, like, would I have gone with Ox or Kata to start this game? Probably, but it's not my decision to make. I think there's a chance we would have blown him away if we had done that. But in the end, three points is three points. It is absolutely. I'm very right. Just writes in, in the chat box. You know, Hendel has experience. But another thing that he kind of made a point in. In I think Sam spoke about his uh, post match comments there, and he took full credit for obviously being at fault for Spurs' goal. But he also spoke about the the challenge of being a goal behind as well. This is the second time now. You know, in 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 like a week, obviously last Sunday as well, Liverpool being a goal down, and you know you, you gotta give you gotta give this Liverpool team credit, you know, being a goal down and to come back to win and absolutely dominate and completely batter the crap out of Spurs. I mean, you know, this is a sign of like a team that's wanting to become champions, right? Because how many times have Liverpool not been that team? Does anyone want to come in? I mean, Jurgen Jurgen gave us a phrase to describe this. We're fucking mentality monsters, right? Yeah. We, we know we know this. This te- this team doesn't know when they're beaten. That's the most important narrative, I think. If you're if you're coaching a team, like if you could basically if you're coaching a team, wouldn't you want that to be the uh, the thing that your team is known for? Like the inability to know when you've lost, right, during a game, or the inability to know that you're being beaten. Most team, most coaches would kill for that. That's that's the character trait you want most in a team is uh, is is actually is, is actual self belief. And look at the self belief in this side: twenty eight points from thirty, ninety seven points last season, a European Cup where where we went down three nil to arguably the greatest player of all time at their place in the first leg. Uh, need need we really say more? Need we, like there there's if there's anything we shouldn't question and. Herinder was, you know, speaking about this before. And look, I might have used this term in a tweet in the past, and if I do, I really regret it. Anybody who calls Henderson's performance as cowardly, that's that's I think that's where you where the line is uh probably crossed because if you look at this team, the team he's a captain of, there's not a single there's not a single quitter or or person who doesn't stop fighting in it, right? Even Dejan Lovren, right? I wouldn't call him a quitter. I think he actually might have uh you know, just a little, he shuts off and he has too much confidence in his own abilities that aren't great. But at no time does he ever really stop fighting. None of these guys stop fighting. That's why they are where they are. For sure. Sam, any, any last words on that? I know um, Hendo has come in and he's saying, you know, what about the games where we won when Hendo was subbed off? I mean, that is a valid point in itself. And he's speaking about him being off form as well, which is absolutely true. He is off form. Yeah, he, he hasn't had... The, the the best of uh, starts to the season, 
uh, you know, I totally agree. And I've been absolutely crying out to get Keita in this team. But he's someone that's had a lot of injuries and, and isn't quite there yet. So at the moment, he, he's someone that we do kind of put up with. And uh, <laughs> he, he, he does he does do a job, right? And obviously, Klopp knows a lot, a lot more than I do. So he's obviously doing something that he does like. Um, he, he was getting in the way more than anything the other day. Uh, you know, getting in the way of, of Trent's progression. He was far too uh, right-sided against Man United at times. And I thought he really did kind of prevent our attack but um, you know I, I don't want to be too negative about him because there are traits that, you know, that he can bring to the team and on his day he, he can be useful I just think he's better off when you know he had that little burst of form last season when we tried to play him in more advanced areas and he, he he's more useful like that he you know, he's a, a really willing runner someone that when he does kind of break the lines he can cause defences problems and you know, it it was kind of exemplified in his goal today. I think that's something that he can do for us. You know, he's not a great striker of a ball or anything, but uh, you know, as we were touching on there just now with Justin, it's basically the nuisance factor. He will run all day for you and cause problems for the opposition. And I think maybe that's something that he can bring to this team. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, like, of course, I'm I'm not Jordan Henderson's biggest fan, but I'm also not his biggest hater and you know like it's effective for you you know Xhaka gets so much stick at Arsenal and I think you've all seen the tweets going around where he was absolutely booed off by the fans and he was cupping his ears telling the fans to fuck off walking down the tunnel you know you'd never see Jordan Henderson do that you know so you know sometimes I say you know what just kind of the grass isn't always greener there's always somebody far worse in my opinion of a situation that's far worse yeah, like yeah, like Shaka, <laughs> but a yeah. lot, a, a lot worse. Uh, I, so you know, you can strike a ball from forty yards, Shaka, but that's about it, you know. So um, uh, with Henderson, you you know what you're going to get with Henderson, and and sometimes you know the the great Man United teams. I, I think that's the the best team we can kind of compare us to at the moment. Is something that a lot of my mates have now been saying to me that you are now Man United under Fergie. You know, we're getting. These decisions, which are correct, by the way, uh, you know, there's been a bit of controversy. I'm sure we'll get onto the penalty later, but you know, there's been controversy around that somehow. And then, oh, bloody penalty again! It's like the guys kicked him in the box, and we've won a penalty. And they're kind of kicking off about penalties when Man United have had double the amount of penalties that we have over the last two years in the Premier League. It, it's it's agendas right, left, and centre. But uh, as he was saying earlier, guys, we we've got. Uh, to quote Brendan, incredible character in this team these days, and it's something that we we never know when we're beaten. And in a league title race against a team like Man City, it's it's so so important that we can grind out wins. And you know, it's something that we're getting really really good at. I, I, I want to point one thing out here too, as well, which is. If you're going to try to make a point of singling out the captain of the team who scored an equalizing goal in a game mm-hmm. in which we won, um, what, what's your what's your reason for supporting and rooting for a team anyway? Right. In the end, a game isn't played on a piece of it, it's not played to see who has the best stats. It's played between two teams of eleven to see which one scores more goals than the other. If the captain, even if he causes something for them to score their first, if he helps to equalize it, it helps you win the game. 
that's really not the best time to make like a grandstanding point about his uh, leadership or suitability to lead. No, I think that's fair. I think, you know, I think we're going to move on from Jordan Henderson now. Um, you know, I feel like we've spoken about him a lot there. Sam, I'll come to you. Speak to me about the front three. Let's talk about, first of all, let's speak about Sadio Mane, of course, because we kind of said he had a bit of a, a kind of quietish game. But, of course, Pivotal won as the penalty. Literally, when he's he gets that ball, he shows his strength, and, you know, um, he gets taken down, rightly so. It's an absolute penalty. But every time the ball was kind of lofted to him, rather than the link-up play on the left-hand side, I felt like when the ball was lofted up to him, he looked more devastating in the second half. Yeah, it was a funny game. Um, with with Spurs playing so deep and, and, and sitting back as much as they were, it, it really did restrict our chances for the front three to kind of play that nice, intricate linker play that they like to do. So it, it kind of did leave the guys kind of isolated at times and having to try something on their own. And I think it's probably fair to say that, that Mane might have done that best out of the front three. And maybe that's kind of why they picked him for man of the match today, um, especially having won that penalty, which ends up winning us the game. So, um, yeah, you know, it, it wasn't a game for the front three as such today, I think we just dominated the ball overall, but we weren't managing to create that many chances for those guys. So, you know, I thought Mane really did do really well with it. the way we kind of tried to deliver it into the boys today. It was kind of a, I don't know how to describe it, long passes maybe. I don't know, mm. just to try and kind of disrupt the Spurs. Hit them on the counter. Uh, back line. Yeah, and, mm. and almost kind of, if Spurs did win the first ball, we were picking up on the second ball. And I think that was a clear tactic today. And it was something that, that, that was putting them under a lot of pressure. And it was something that Spurs really did struggle to deal with. And, you know, Mane was probably one of the best when the second ball did come along. You know, he, he's one of the quickest guys to react. And, you know, that that's where we end up then getting something like a penalty or, or a chance then that will win us the game. So, you know, that was absolutely vital for us today. For sure, for sure. And, you know, Justin, I come to you a noise as well. A lot of his play was quite from deep as well today, Sadio Mane. Yeah, I mean, Spurs were going to try to pin our fullbacks back the entire time. I think they were more successful doing it to Robertson than they were to Trent Alexander-Arnold. Probably some of that's tactical, or you think you can probably get in at, you know, behind Alexander-Arnold and in at Lovren and get more joy than trying to go right at Virgil van Dijk. Because, I don't know, if I was setting up a team of two attackers, I would do the same thing. But I think that, you know, not having a fullback get far enough up the pitch to provide him with service forced him a lot deeper. It forced him a lot more central. And I think that just our ability to attack down his side was, uh, it it wasn't completely and totally shut off. Because, you know, as I mentioned earlier with Robertson, there were a bunch of opportunities where he gets behind. A lot of that comes from interplay with with Mane. But I thought, you know, effectively, he was just kind of quieter. Um, I do think that Mane should have absolutely scored the free header that he had the first half because he's unmarked onside in acres of space. And other than that, I don't think that there was in the second half. I think he, he tirelessly ran his ability to press. He, you know, he was he was nonstop with a motor pressing. It's just I think that you know, aside from getting on the uh, the end of the header and then being fouled, right? He was in fact fouled for that penalty. You you could try to cry about it ever you want. Can't kick through the back of a guy's leg and expect that that's not going to be called. But um, I think that you know he was. Uh, he was a quiet version of himself. He wasn't terrible by any stretch. He, was, he wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination, mm-hmm. but 
if you were kind of like, you know, assessing a match rating to a Sadio Mane for that, that's like a 6.5 out of, out of 10, right? That's that's what that was from this. There was nothing, there was no, you know, moment of brilliance, but he did enough to help us, to help to contribute to a win. For sure. And just then I'll stick with you. Let's talk about the man that actually slot away the penalty. I mean, first of all, just... He was just so confident. But talk to me about his performance as well, because I felt like, you know, um, maybe he was aided in the sense that, you know, there was a lot more creativity on the right-hand side. But I felt like, you know, in terms of Mosala, to me, he looked a little bit more lively in, I'd say, maybe the first 20 minutes of the first half and maybe the build-up to, obviously, the penalty as well. It, for me, it was in short bursts. It wasn't like a, a consistent thing with him. Well, he also comes off with the ankle bothering him. So I think it's the type of thing where that's, it's an injury. It's hampering him. It would be nice to have another. We've had updates in here, by the way, that he should be okay. So that's good news to anyone that doesn't know. Yeah. Control your team, Brendan, you dipshit. But um, it's basically down to the fact that I think that that's probably still bothering him. I mean, there were some really nice lively moments to play with him. He he, uh, has that moment where him and Firmino combined, he gets it to them by the top of the area and hits a ball that. I thought it was moving decently. Gazanigas is really well positioned for it. Uh, there's him, get, you know, what seems like a routine with a Trent Alexander-Arnold finding him at the top of the area in a corner that he drags wide. There's the vo- there's the half volley he takes that I think he puts right at Gazaniga where he could have probably played in Bobby for what would have been a tap-in. So there's still some of the decision-making when he's shooting when he should pass, but I think he was really lively. He was really creative. He created mm-hmm. opportunities and, uh, you know, he gets a goal, and we need him to do that because sometimes we've noticed the longer he goes without a goal, the confidence starts to dip, and his and, and he just you know starts to play more and more with his head down. Whereas it's he's actually it's funny because he's a player who's at his best scoring when he's also looking to create for other people, and uh, I, I hope that the goal kind of uh, re- returns some confidence so he starts uh, opening up his game a bit more because uh, we could really use him firing uh, against you know Villa and definitely against City. Oh, absolutely. And Sam, you speak to me about Marcelo and then we'll move to Roberto Firmino. Yeah, it's probably one of his quieter games today. But, you know, as we've as we've touched on earlier, it, it was more to do with the way Spurs played more than anything, leaving, you know, very little space in behind. So it wasn't the kind of game that plays to his strengths today. But, you know, he, he worked his ass off. He, he pressed really strongly yet again. And he ended up getting that goal. So, uh, yeah, really, really So much confidence in that penalty as well, right? You know, like, the run-up and everything. He just knew he was going to score. Yeah, well, it's it's been an incredible turnaround for Salah when it comes to penalties. Um, touching wood here, right? But I don't know if you guys were the same, but my confidence in Mo Salah's penalty-taking about a year ago was on the floor. He was, in my opinion, quite a poor penalty-taker. Um, he was hitting it down the middle or, you know, very close to the goalkeeper quite often and was getting away with it or, or getting a few shots saved. And it seems clear that it's something that he's been working really hard on. Uh, and it's become something that he is now a lot, lot better at. And I feel a lot more confident with him taking penalties now than maybe I was 12 to 18 months ago. So um, really, really good. And just wanted to touch on the fact that we've, finally had a penalty at the cop end in the Premier League. Uh, that now is only the second penalty at the cop end we've had in the Premier League since 
May 2017, I oh think. Oh, my God. Which is absolutely batshit crazy, considering how dominant we are at Anfield. Um, and, and it just goes to show that so many referees, you know, come to Anfield sometimes not wanting to come across as someone who has kind of given in to the the, the pressure of, 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 of refereeing a game and doesn't want to come across as a homer. The amount of penalties we should have had in that time is a hell of a lot more. Um, I don't remember 100% that chant, that, that one that Matt Dip got dragged down against Newcastle. Was that cop end? I think it might have been. Yeah, um, it was. It was cop end. Um, it was. And that wasn't given. We've had an absolute string of them where we haven't been given. So now we have equaled the amount of cop end penalties that Spurs have had at Anfield in, in the last... Jeez. Two and a half years. Uh, they've also had two at the cop end uh, in that period in the Premier League. It was both in the same game against us. So I just kind of wanted to touch on the fact that I was kind of relieved that we finally broken that hoodoo. And I'm just hoping, you know, with, with the, the amount of pressure and the amount of dominance we having, be having a hell of a lot of penalties at the cop end. And I think it's uh, hopefully something that's been banished and... Uh, Fingers crossed that refs will start actually giving them from now on. Absolutely. And Sam, I'll stick with you. Let's talk about Roberto Firmino. I mean, for me, he kind of went a little quiet in, in the second half. But for me, in the first half, he was an absolute menace in terms of his pressing game. I felt like the defence just could not handle him. We kind of spoke about a few instances where, you know, him just pressing the defence. I think it was Serge Aurier, just could not deal with him, couldn't handle him. Talk to me about Roberto Firmino because when he's like that, he's very, very unplayable. Yeah, well, I think he's probably one of the main reasons why Spurs were so penned in today. I think they they really struggled to to get out from defence without having to just hoof the ball far because he's putting so much pressure on that Spurs defence that he gave them no option but to kind of play it long and then, in in essence, give the ball straight back to us. So um, it wasn't an attacking masterclass from him today. I, th- I don't think it was that kind of game, to be fair. I don't think he had much of a chance to do that. But I'd be very, very interested to hear the pressing stats for this game. Uh, you know, once Gags has stopped uh, celebrating Diwali, I think uh, it, I, I'm really looking forward to to listening to the Under Pressure pod now after finally getting that win just to hear because I think we'd be pleasantly surprised just how how well our front three pressed today. Absolutely. And for me, um, Justin, that's what I kind of know pressing game. And I felt like that was the... The, the the catalyst of um, Spurs looking really shaky in the back, you know, and them not be, being able to deal with the fact that there are players literally on their necks. Yeah, well, they also played 10 players behind the ball for most of that game, and typically when you play 10 players behind the ball and we cross the ball a lot, um, Bobby's 5'11", not going to beat a lot of ton of guys in the air unless he's got you know some space with no space around. He's not exactly going to be that effective in an attack, but he did create a lot more pressing, and he did have a few moments where at least, you know, you could see him starting to become a little bit of, you know, a, a you know the goofy bastard, but you know he can be, like, when he tried to shoot the ball between Gazaniga's legs on after quickly receiving it off of a throw-in. So, I mean, ultimately, it's, it's a quieter game for him, but they're not, you know, he's not going to be, you know, dinking the ball in, in, a, in a weird Rabona 
around a defender in every single match. Sometimes he's just going to, you know, just have normal Roberto Firmino matches where his his best influence is winning the ball back, moving it quickly, and creating a counter. Um, but just, but you know, significantly harder to do when there's ten men behind the ball at all times. No, um, absolutely. Um, it was a it was um a game where literally. Spurs just defended but you know what let's just kind of talk about the last key point of this game and Justin it was something that you kind of touched on before we kind of went live um, on, on the show and literally as soon as we go 2-1 up of course they make some substitutions I think Ndombele comes on for us I think we take off Ginny Wijnaldum and bring on Milner and then in that point as well I think we take off Mosala because he picks up that little knock and um, Gomez comes on which means um, Trent is playing um playing right back so um you know you'd expect heads to drop you know the fact that they've gone 2-1 down spares but that's when they come to life we're lucky that that game ended when it did because if it goes on for five more minutes they probably score on us but games are 90 minutes instead of 94 minutes and uh you know sorry they're, they're 90 minutes and not 95 minutes so i think that's uh probably for the best and I think that's, you know, because I think we, we expended so much energy to, to get our supremacy over them. I think it was mm-hmm. only natural that we were going to drop deeper once we didn't need another goal. I just really wish Klopp, because uh, Klopp, the story of this game narrowly goes from Liverpool showing, almost went from Liverpool showing great resolve to, to win a game that they, that they really should have deserved to win to uh, Liverpool, uh, to, to Klopp being bested by Pochettino changing it from the bench because uh, you know Mora and uh, the you know Mora coming on and Dembele coming on uh, basically gave them a bit more push to try to go forward and we'd only brought James Milner on for Ginny Wijnaldum I think in the 70th minute and really didn't use our final sub until it was enforced at around 90 minutes so we you know we left ourselves shorter on energy than they possibly could have been and it could have hurt us but thankfully it didn't and uh, got away with it. We did absolutely, and of course, the, the sub was of course Divokovigi coming on for Roberto Firmino. Sam, I'm going to come to you because I noticed in that little period as well, Trent was on a yellow. He was looking not to get a second yellow. Sky were kind of really hyping it up that he should have been off. Um, obviously, it didn't happen. Thank you so much. But for me, in that little period of time, they were kind of trying to hit us on the on our right hand side. Yeah, I think uh, Ndombele is a really good player. I.e., someone out of be for us to get in actually uh, to to give us a bit more depth in midfield. I think he did make a bit of a difference for Spurs when he came on, and he was trying those little searching balls in around the box, and it was something that we did kind of struggle with a little bit. And you know, we were all kind of on on the edges of our seats a bit, but. We, we should have a lot more faith in the team these days, I think. It's something that we have become really, really good at is holding on to these narrow wins. I think that's the fourth 2-1 victory this season so far. Um, that's Sam with my the head. stats. Uh, I love a stat. <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> love a stat. Uh, Sammy stats, isn't it? But, um, yeah, so if that is the case, you know, it's it's something that we've become really good at it. We're not panicking when the game is tight. You know, in the past, we, we've always felt like, oh, we have to get another goal. We have to get two goals ahead. 
Otherwise, we're going to let it go. And now we're just happy in our own skin and we're comfortable when we've got that one goal lead that we are going to hold out. And even though Spurs did threaten a little bit and you know, we was a bit edgy, I do think we were overall pretty comfortable and, and restricted them to, to shots from distance, which, you know, mainly just went straight at Alisson. All in all, I think once we got the second goal, we were always going to leave there with the three points today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, guys, I think we've pretty much come to the end of the show there. Is there any final like to know before we um, close this pod off? Any, any last bit of closure from you, Justin? Nope, I think that's uh, we covered a lot. Yeah, I think we have. I think we've pretty much covered everything. What about yourself, Sam? Any final thoughts? This is your closure. You can't speak about the game ever again. Done, dusted. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Dell's made a good point as well. It's something I forgot to mention is is the fact that in our first ten games, uh, you know, we've played Arsenal, Chelsea, Leicester, Man United, and Spurs, and you know, we we've ended up taking thirteen points from those five games. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, also, shout out to Trev Downey, who's got the best voice in the business, who's gone onto the chat then taking the piss of my accent, which is uh, always. Always lovely to hear. So thanks for that, Trev, mate. But um, yeah, apart from that, uh, yeah, just absolutely delighted today. And I'm it, it's it's the tonic I needed after the absolute heartbreak of this morning with Wales losing the rugby and, and not getting that dream final against England. So um, yeah, up the Reds now. And I'm just looking forward to, you know, I, I'm not even counting the Arsenal game in midweek, to be honest. It's something that I hope we play a lot of the the youngsters in and I'm just looking forward to the uh, away game against Aston Villa now. Uh, if we can get three points there, we'll be going into Man City next then. Six points ahead at least. Absolutely. And you know what, Trev, just joining in the chat right at the end. You know what, I'd get a little nervous, but we are at the end of the show, so I don't feel judged. He did say he liked your accent though, Sam. And I have to say, it, it is one of those accents that just makes me smile. It's just a really positive voice accent. I'm, I'm here for it. Um, guys, um, before we, we actually finally do go, we, we need man of the match. So, you know what? Justin, I'm going to come to you. There's been some really, really interesting shots. Of course, Sky went with Sadio Mane. Um, you know, I thought the likes of uh, Fabinho had a really, really good game, in my opinion. Trent Alexander-Arnold as well. Some would even say Alisson for being focused in those last 15 minutes. I'm intrigued to see which way you go with it. Fabinho. Um, mm-hmm. Just... They, they, we, we controlled them for seventy-five minutes, and that's a very good Spurs side. Uh, most of that control is down to Fabinho just doing four men's job in midfield. So, as good as Trent Alexander-Arnold was, I, 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 I need to lean to the Brazilian. My dog disagrees. Well, she agrees. Maybe that's like yes, hey, here. Um, Trev also likes Justin's um, accent as well. Nothing about mine. It's fine, Trev. I will not cry myself to sleep tonight. Um, Fabinho is an absolutely wonderful shout. I want to get your thoughts. Um, Sam, who's your man of the match? Well, Justin, if you listen a bit more carefully to your dog, I think you'll hear your dog whispering the words Trent Alexander-Arnold. Uh, because I, I personally, I think Trent was my man of the match today. Um, I, I, Sammy Stats back again. Um, I think he created seven chances for the Reds today. And just to highlight how good that is, Spurs created eight chances in the whole game. 
by their whole team. So, you know, when, when someone's that productive going forward and that creative, I think it's something that he, he, he fully deserves. And I think for me personally today, the, the hugely underrated and under the radar Trent Alexander-Arnold is my man of the match today. And, you know, long may it continue that the, the, the media narrative uh, underrates the guy because the longer it happens... Uh, I think the longer he can make these kinds of impacts in games and and help the Reds get those three points and keep us at the top of this league. Ah, man, you've given me two really good shouts. I mean, I like the fact that Fabinho completely controlled the game. Absolutely. But then Trent Alexander-Arnold's, you know, absolutely exploiting their their wide players and just being an attacking player. For me, um, you know, had he not got that yellow, I think he would have been and, you know, he would have had a flawless performance throughout. But you know what? I've gi- I, I, sh- I gave it to Fabinho last week, even though everyone else kind of gave it to other people. I think Adam Lallana got it. So for me this week, I am going to give it to Trent Alexander-Arnold. I, I felt like, you know, him just being the constant threat that he was completely changed how we played and the approach. So I'm going to give it to Trent Alexander-Arnold. I think they're both great shouts. If you want to give it to Fabinho, I think the Liverpool official Instagram account gave it to Fabinho. It's an absolutely wonderful shout. He was flawless throughout. Guys, let us know your thoughts. Who was your man of the match? Reasons why? Um, before we go, guys, anything you'd like to plug? Justin, I'll come to you first. I can't even get my phone off of me for a moment. Um, I, I've got nothing to plug. U.S. guys will probably do a podcast during the international break. But, um, the, you know, I, I love CNY, the uh, supporters club that I um, that, that I help uh, run. We, we ran our food drive last week and got a lot of food over to a local food pantry. So, as always, there are a lot of hungry people in the world. Um, until governments can find a better way to stop uh, food insecurity, let's uh, be kind to our fellow man and uh, get some food over to food pantries. That's an absolutely great plug. Um, uh, yep, thank you so much, Justin. What about yourself, Sam? Anything you'd like to plug? Um, well, unfortunately, my work life is kind of dominating at the moment and, and slowly breaking me, so I haven't had any time for much writing of late. But um, if you want to have a chat on Twitter at all, uh, I can give you my Twitter handle, which is at Sambo Evans. If you want to chat about the Reds, I'm always there, so uh, give me a follow, give me a uh, give me a mention, and we'll have a chat. Yeah, he he'll always respond back. Well, Sam, yeah, check both these guys out on Twitter at Rolls on Shabos, and of course, uh, Sambo Evans. Guys, thank you so much for for listening. For my part, check out AI Pro. There's so much awesome content. I believe there's going to be a post match Raw podcast that's probably live before this one. Check it out. Awesome content coming your way. Mo will be on the spot as well. I was quite busy last week. I, I had a podcast with uh, James Pierce and, of course, I did Euro Incision. Um, Under Pressure will be back as well. Tactics, so much great content. All you got to do is go to Anfield Index, um, anfieldindex.com forward slash joint, and you get a seven-day free trial. Personally, if you are on Instagram, check out my Instagram page. It's at the Nina Kalza Show. I do videos. You actually see me pull like the funniest faces. I'm really expressive. So guys, check it out. I post videos every single day. Thank you to all those people who have supported me. I will be back next week post Aston Villa. Once again, thank you so much for our callers. Hope you all have a wonderful Diwali. A massive thank you to both Sam and Justin. And a massive thank you to all the people that joined us live with the questions and the commentary. Till next time, guys. Take care and up the Reds.
Social Podcast Network.